Before we begin, I have a couple of things to tell you. First, I have written a cookbook that has just gone on sale. It's called Country Music's Greatest Eats. It's a collaboration with Southern Living Magazine and Country Music Television, CMT. And in it, I profile 30 country music stars and their favorite family recipes. I talk to legends like the Oak Ridge Boys and Winona Judd, as well as newer acts like the Zac Brown Band and Florida Georgia Line. Check it out. It's on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Speaking of Southern Living, I'm happy to announce that Authentic South is featured in the June 2014 issue of the magazine. They've got a huge story in there called The A to Z Guide to Southern Food, and they wrote about us in the I category. That's I for Indie Food Media. Be sure and show Southern Living some love and join the conversation at hashtag Southern Food Now. All right, on to the show. So what is that? This is a uh, this is a cocktail that I have recently discovered. I'm sure it's one of the older cocktails. It's basically ginger ale and a blended whiskey. Usually I use uh, Famous Grouse, which is kind of the you know standard Scot blended Scotch of Scotland. But um, because I'm so fascinated with pigs, I got this uh, nice five year old blended pig's nose, which I can't imagine drinking straight. I can only imagine drinking with ginger ale because. It's only five years old, <laughs> so uh, so I just thought I'd, I'd start off the evening with a uh, with a you know normal cocktail that's thematic to our uh, story. And besides, pig, pigs are cute; they work on the label, right? Yeah. What do you think the origin of the uh, of this is? Actually, the pig's nose is that just so, like so? The... Yeah. So the back of the bottle says something effect of the uh, pig's nose. What does it say? In uh, in Gloucestershire. It is said that a scotch is as soft and smooth as a pig's nose. The local saying gave its name to our high quality, but very immature, blended scotch. So, that, that's your own commentary, right? Yeah, that, that part, the uh, highly immature. Again, I, I tend to like my, um, my pigs a little younger and my scotch a little older. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. John Kelly is a really good friend of mine. He's a journalist, and ultimately, he's just a great storyteller. Most of his stories revolve around his obsessive curiosity with figuring out how things work. When I describe Sean to people, I'll say that he's got this Thomas Jefferson-esque sensibility, in that when he gets an idea to grow anything or make anything, he'll follow it all the way through, even if it ends in failure. You know, Jefferson had all these ideas and projects that he tried, and he failed a lot. But he also learned a lot, and Sean's the same way. Before I met Sean, I heard about him because he was thick in the middle of one of these projects. He'd set out to raise a couple of pigs so that he could slaughter them and eat them and just learn about that entire process firsthand. Now, he had never done anything like this before. But he did live on a farm not too far from Birmingham with his wife Patty and his two kids. And to help you understand Sean, you first have to hear him tell you about his farm. So uh, <laughs> we, uh, when we bought this farm, it, was a, um, it came with two things that were disconcerting for my wife. A uh, 36,000-gallon in-ground pole and an 1,800-pound Holstein named Bessie. Why, did, why was that disconcerting for your wife? 
well, what the hell do you do with a 10-year-old 1,800-pound cow? I mean, really, what do you do with it? You don't eat it. It's, it's, it's 10 years old, right? It's, there ain't nothing tender left about that thing. It might make institutional meat for somewhere, but, but it's, it, it kept the grass cut. And, and that was about it. So, so we had a pool. Then we had a daughter, and she was toddling, and we decided to fill the pool in because it really wasn't useful. And, but we, we did it on the cheap. So instead of removing the items like the ladders and the diving board and the sidewalks around the pool, they just filled it in, and we um, left all the other accoutrements. So this became our garden. You're amused. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we need a a diving board and a bunch of dirt i still do <laughs> you I still, still do, do. <laughs> the diving board just collapsed i gotta figure out how to get it set back up we did we did why do you want to set it back up that that is that is uh, the universe telling you take the diving board out but then i wouldn't have a pool themed garden you're missing the beauty of a i mean i have a bathtub set a cast iron bathtub that i grow um that i grow herbs in I mean, it makes sense that I would grow my tomatoes in a, in a swimming pool. Okay. All right. Let, All let's, this let's makes keep sense in the, in the context of the Sean Kelly universe. So keep in mind, I've never killed anything in my life at this point. I am more comfortable on shopping for women's shoes on Fifth Avenue than I am on a rural farm in Alabama. This is a shame to my ancestors, I'm quite certain. My family immigrated to the state of Alabama when it was a territory and lived on land that my family still owns with the Creek Indians. This is a family that was hard scrabble, poor, and lived off the land for 150 years. And I've got a garden and a pool, and I've never killed anything. And this is, to me, is actually the story of the South, to some extent, and really the story of America and farming. One of the things that fascinated me, which led from tomatoes to pig, um, is that we lost touch with our heritage at some point in the last 75 years. Pigs in particular, but, but farming in general, is an American heritage. Um, and it's not, that, it's not that recent that it became less of a heritage of ours. It's, it's, we moved off the farm 50 or 60 years ago, but the farms were still pretty close by. It's taken, it's taken a couple generations, but we have lost absolute, absolutely completely lost access to farms, to food. We know all about pork and beef and, and, and poultry. We know nothing about chickens, cows, and pigs. Right? This is not my mantra, but it, but it was my understanding too. I mean, I got it. Right? I, I have no experience raising or killing an animal. My parents don't either. My grandparents did. Those people were subsistence farmers. They were subsistence farmers until the 50s for 150 years. And I have no experience. I don't, I don't know the difference between a hoe and a rake. I don't know how to raise vegetables to get the most yield. I don't know how to take an animal like a pig and turn it into a profit center. But that's the course of American history has been for people to be self-reliant and self-sustaining. And I think that what struck me before I embarked on this pig project was how far in just a couple generations my wife and I had come from where we, who we were to where we are. And it disturbed me. 
as a southerner who family means a lot to me um i i only had to ask grandparents and and great aunts and uncles to find out how you raise an animal and how you kill an animal and and what it was like to have a cold winter snap in the middle of november and be able to go out and kill something and then have fresh meat um what it was like to pick up warm eggs what it was like to milk a cow you know these are things that we just don't do in america anymore and maybe that's for the better but um damned if I wasn't going to try to do something like that because that's cool, right? Getting an understanding of where you're from and and what your your people did, yeah, that's important because you know what? We're losing every day our connection with those people. Um, and, and, you know, I think the South is probably more connected than other parts of the country, but we're, we're getting disconnected as well. I mean, you know, you walk around Atlanta or Birmingham or any major metropolitan area in the South, Memphis, whatever, the distance between a, the, the city and a farm may not be that great, but the distance between people who live in the city and farmers, it might as well be the distance between Atlanta, Georgia, and San Francisco. It's generations, and it's many, many miles. So that's what fascinated me about farming, and that's what sparked this curiosity in me. This, well, what can I do? And so I had to think about, well, what kind of animal would I do? Well, fish doesn't seem to make sense. I didn't have a pond. Um... Chicken seemed really easy. Like, you know, how hard is it to kill a chicken? And, and a cow seemed to be a, a, a step too far. Like, what, what do you do when you kill a cow? That's a lot of meat. That's, how do you, you know, but the pig, the pig is perfect. It's in between a chicken and a cow. It's not difficult. It doesn't seem difficult according to the literature. So here was my solution. I was going to raise a pig. And I was going to kill it. And I was going to butcher it. And I was going to eat it. And I had to get permission from my wife. <laughs> this is how these pro- curiosity projects go in my household. I have these grandiose ideas. So Sean finally convinced his wife, Patty, to let him buy a pig. But here was the deal. She said he could only buy one pig. Well, Sean met a guy in Tuscaloosa who sold pigs. And apparently, he was really good at selling pigs because... Sean came home with two of them. So I got a black and white pig, and I got a pink pig. And the pink pig's name was Dinner, and the black and white pig's name was Lunch. And these were the names I decided to give my pigs so that there would be no confusion in the Kelly household over the indisposition of these pigs. The trajectory was decided the moment I named them. I was not going to back out, and my children were not going to talk me out of it. And then I went home with two pigs and a dog crate. And when I got home, my wife wanted to know why, instead of one pig, I had two pigs. And there began the biggest friction of my marriage. I had failed to obey my wife's one wish that we have one pig instead of two pigs. <laughs> and I, I tried to explain to her, I said, honey, I, I just felt like they would, one would be lonely, that, that there needed to be two. And she goes, lonely, you're going to kill it. Why do you care if it's lonely? On the next episode of Authentic South, Sean tells us about the Day of Reckoning and how it didn't necessarily go the way he hoped it would. So I um, 
swallowed my pride and did the only thing I could do as a southern-born male. I called my northern wife out of the house and had her put the gun back together, which she did, with that look on her face that said, how did you screw this up? Big thanks, of course, to Sean Kelly. And the special music today is from the band War Jacket. Hear more at warjacket.com. And to see pictures and hear more episodes of the show, click on over to AuthenticSouth.com. You can also hear us at WFAE.org, Public Radio Exchange, and on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Until we go south again, thanks for listening.